Thanks for tuning in to Real Original. Today we're talking about Snowpiercer, one of my favorite movies. My name is Dave. My name is Suzanne. And my name is Sterling. And they're both new guests on the podcast. We're very glad to have you. And I'm very sorry that this has to be the episode that you're recording, because I'm basically just going to mute y'all while I gush about this movie for a while. (laughs) Great. Thanks for inviting us. (laughs) Oh, yeah, no problem. Now, uh, I'll just like when I'm in the editing room, I'll just edit in some sound effects for you guys going, oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah. I mean, do what you got to do. I will listen. So I know I I don't believe (laughs) you'll audit me to make sure that all your stuff's in here. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, Sterling, I got a secret little glimpse. You said something to me outside of the podcast where you said you were mad at me for some reason. What was that all about? So we talked a while back about V for Vendetta and how you hated that movie, but you enjoyed this. That was after watching it for the first time. I watched this movie twice so I could kind of get a better grasp on it. And I think I'm going to rescind that statement because it is a pretty different movie from V for Vendetta, but I still stand by my opinion that V for Vendetta is a good movie. That's fair. I found V for Vendetta to just be extremely, extremely boring and unengaging. The characters did nothing for me. Whereas this movie, Snowpiercer, uh, it just starts off in a way that I loved it from the first five minutes. The movie just opens up. It has like three or four minutes of exposition where you read some text and they kind of introduce the world and the gas that, froze the world and then it just gets going there's no character introduction there's no like deadpool rewinding oh this is how i got to this situation (laughs) yeah i'm kind of glad about that 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 didn't even really work in deadpool in my opinion suzanne what was your overall thoughts of the movie i mean you picked a movie with chris evans in it so i was bound to like it (laughs) Uh, at least a little bit. So I think I'm with you. Like I was hooked within the first five minutes. And after that, I I just think it got set up so fast and got going so fast that I was like, Oh, Oh, now we're in like, now I need to buckle my seatbelt because we just jumped right in and things are already getting crazy. I see like I'm sensing revolution within the first five minutes is going to be good. Yeah. Revolution classism. The movie establishes very quickly that it has established consequences that people are going to die, like characters that you're going to like all of this stuff just happens. And you're like, okay, I'm, I need a seatbelt for my couch to watch this movie. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly how I felt. And yeah, I did lure uh, Suzanne onto the podcast with a Chris Evans movie. I had to find some way to lure you here. (laughs) Um, it worked. It, that was really easy. So you know how to get me on here next time. Chris Evans, he'll always work. Well, here's a hot take for you. Okay. And I know you're you're going to argue with me on this. Oh, no. I know. I don't know if Chris Evans was right for this role. I don't hate it. But right. he he's too built and he's too muscular and he's <laughs> too beautiful of a human being okay. to be coming from the back of a train. That is that one of the first things I said when I was watching this movie was now, how is he so fit? Like yeah. if they've been eating protein blocks of bugs for years at this point, how is he Spoiler so alert. fit? Spoiler <laughs> alert. It, minor details. Oh yeah. The whole podcast is going to be spoilers. So, <laughs> but also like I was also tripped up that he was the only one that had like trimmed hair, like his 
head had been buzzed recently and like knowing they don't have like hair clippers I don't know what it would have taken <laughs> to shave your head down and make it that even but that also kind of just got under my skin a little bit it made me curious yeah I didn't even think about that but you're totally right um, on the subject of the protein bars and him being all ripped, I, I have a suspicion that they were hiding another rear train that they didn't show in the movie. That was like a CrossFit gym. Right. I mean, <laughs> there's no other explanation. Like <laughs> there's just ripped dudes in there swinging chains and moving tires. <laughs> or like, you know, maybe there didn't have to be a second chain. Maybe they just like took all those little kids and benched them every oh, day. Oh, smart got to work with what you have on hand exactly it's kind of like quarantine like mm-hmm. yeah closed you gotta lift some dog food bags or something or some dogs <laughs> yeah i do some puppy presses where i lift my dog and we do like curls and stuff it's fun she hates it oh <laughs> sure she loves it i lift myself off the couch occasionally nice <laughs> So now that we've talked about our general opinions and kind of high level overview, I suppose it makes sense to talk about what this movie is and and the general plot. So the idea behind this movie is that it's, it's the apocalypse and most all of humanity is dead. The only people that are alive are on a single train that can't stop moving. It's on kind of a circular track, not really circular, but never ending. And if the train stops, they die. They're the last of humanity. And the, the back of the train is basically the underclass. It's where the poor people live. And the front of the train is where the rich people live. And it's all about classism and trying to make your way in the world. It's 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 very shallow about that. It's very upfront about that. It's, it's mm-hmm. not subtle at all. Um, but the movie is just packed with great action scenes, great subtlety. Uh, one of the things that I love about Snowpiercer is the planting and the payoff. There's so many things in this movie that get planted in the first 15 or 20 minutes that then come back later in the episode or mm-hmm. the episode later in the movie. And it's just brilliant. One of the only other movies that does that as well as Snowpiercer that I can think of is Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse, which is of course one of my favorites. I've recently saw that for the f- first time and, and that movie's fantastic, but mm-hmm. I, I definitely see the comparisons you're making in, in the, the way that it was built and hundred percent agree, which is rare for me and you. <laughs> Did either of y'all see the movie Parasite? No, I'm still dying list. to see that. You both missed it? Oh no. Yeah, I know. It's by the same director, if that gives you any uh oh. insight into what it's gonna be about. And it's it's very similar in terms of its themes of classism. Parasite, I don't want to spoil it if you haven't seen it, but it's it's a lot more subtle and it's also less of an action movie, but it it definitely bends genres in the same way that Snowpiercer does. Okay, good to know. I do like the action aspect of this one, though. There were a few moments where where Chris Evans was swinging axes and stuff, and I was like, this is a deleted scene from Captain America. Right. How did you learn how to swing an axe like that on a train? Yeah, (laughs) there's a lot of questions like that. Yeah, for sure. Well, like there were I think like the fight scene that freaked me out was when there was like that the car of like police essentially like all the guys with the bulletproof vests and the black masks on like Mm -hmm. and then the like lights turn off and these guys all have like the the night vision goggles on and suddenly like the good guys if like we should label them that way like our back of the train people can't see anything and then the cops like are super intense and can see in the dark now and our people can't. And so I got so stressed out about that scene 
but I also thought it was an awesome action. Yeah, and and if I was to wager, I bet at least Sterling, I bet you found some parallels in that scene to some other movies. I know you're a Tarantino fan. I'm not sure where you stand on Tarantino, Suzanne, but Sterling, did you get any any vibes of a Tarantino movie? You know, I'll be honest. I I mean, other than the the large, I mean, kind of you know, Kill Bill, I guess, in, in a sense, but not. I didn't catch that, to be completely honest with you, until you mentioned it. Um, yeah, it reminded me of the Crazy 88s. And also, I don't know if you all have seen the movie Kung Fu Hustle, but the axe gang in Kung Fu Hustle was, I felt, referenced here since they had all the axes. Mm-hmm. Can I say that, like, I've heard people refer to movies giving them whiplash, but I think this one, like, is the only movie that I could say has actually ever given me, like... <laughs> It's doing one thing, and then it's doing another, and it's doing another, and it's doing another. And normally I would hate that, but it worked. It felt like you were on a train that was going super fast and couldn't stop, because if it did, you would die. (laughs) Yeah, it's a ride. I, I don't even remember why I watched this movie the first time I saw it. I think I was on some movie subreddit or something, and somebody had asked a question like, what's the most underrated action movie you've seen this year? And a lot of people came in with Snowpiercer and I was like, all right, sure. I'll give it a shot. I'm, I think that's what happened. But like, I, I don't remember why I watched it. Chris Evans. Yeah. 100%. Oh, yeah. Well, the other thing that might have drawn me to it is John Hurt, because there was a time that I was on a, a John Hurt binge. And I, I think seeing that he was in the movie kind of sealed the deal for me. Hmm. Is that why you first watched View for Vendetta in the first place, too? I think I was introduced to that against my will by a friend. <laughs> Isn't that too? Ugh. No, I'm sure. I <laughs> I had probably fallen asleep by the time he was introduced, so. Fair. Uh, did you know in this movie, his character of Gilliam was named after the director, Terry Gilliam? Oh, no. I did not. I did not catch that. And Edgar was also supposedly named after Edgar Wright, the director of the awful Scott Pilgrim versus the World movie. <laughs> you want to fight, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> Well, the other thing about Scott Pilgrim, the other reason why I bring it up is because Chris Evans was in that movie and the, I forget the actress name at this point, but the teacher in Snowpiercer, the pregnant blonde teacher, oh, yes. mm-hmm. she was in Scott Pilgrim as well. Oh, wait, really? Yeah. I think she played the female ex. Huh. Oh, okay. Yeah. I think you're right. Yeah. She looked familiar at least. I, I'm pretty sure it was her. Very interesting. So, who was your favorite character throughout the whole movie, Suzanne? I'm trying to remember her name, but the daughter of the guy who of the um guy who could break the gates open to each train and she mm-hmm. was the one who was like clairvoyant. Oh, what was her name? I think it was Yona. Yona. Yeah. She was by far my favorite because one like I thought at first like I started liking her just because she was hilarious like she just wakes up from her like deep sleep in a drawer. And then it's like, can I have drugs now? Like, (laughs) and I was like, what? where is this girl coming from? Like, how is this child addicted to drugs? She's never even been off the train. Like, but then they quickly realize that she can see through or at least hear through the different gates. And I was like, Ooh, okay. Now she's got a badass spin on her character. I'm interested. And then I just like loved that she was involved with every scene from then on. So she was my favorite for sure. Yeah, she was fantastic. Did you catch when they shared her last name? No. I think it was Lely Who. What? Yona Lely Who. 
I am sorry about the terrible jokes. I get with you. Good night, folks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And everybody just tuned out of the podcast. <laughs> Sterling, who was your favorite character? So this is probably not going to shock anyone or maybe shock everyone, but I actually really liked Mason. I uh, hated her at the same time, but Tilda Swinson did a great job of really being this awkward, evil lady bureaucrat Uh, yeah yeah it gave me it reminded me a lot of um i can't think of her name but she's in the hunger games except i I thought this character was better yes i think i don't know which one was made first but i definitely immediately made that connection like these Mm. two are extremely similar characters but i think you're right like as much as mason made me like cringe and hate her like it was still so well done yeah i love her character she does so many things in this movie that just surprise you like you're mm-hmm. n- you're never expecting what comes out of her next and and this is kind of this goes back to what i said before about planting and payoff early on in the movie she does this hand gesture while making a speech where she kind of makes a fist twist it pushes it forward twists it and pulls it back that's not exactly what she does but it, it the camera like focuses on it and it's it's so meticulous in what they're showing you but they don't pay it off until literally like the last 15 minutes of the movie where they show what that hand gesture is signifying of the little kids being in the head of the train replacing parts mm-hmm. oh my god you just i'm mind blown <laughs> did you not catch that no i didn't catch that <laughs> No worries. I've seen this movie so many times that I, I probably have a little bit more insight into somebody who might have watched it only once or twice. Okay, I definitely caught the foreshadowing in the second time because, well, I knew it was coming, but like it, I was able to kind of look for those extra things. And and I, I feel like uh, I feel like, uh, oh, God, I can't remember how to pronounce the director's name. Um, Bong Joon-ho. OK, thank you. <laughs> um, I feel like he, he's he's very good at, at foreshadowing and 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 changing direction and it it just, it just worked. Yeah. Yep. One of the things that didn't work about Mason for me, uh, is the scene where she takes out her dentures. Okay. I I love that. I was so confused about it. Like, of course it was just kind of shocking. And I was like, ew, like, why would you ever do that? But I also don't think that I like fully understood why that would happen. Kind of took it as like a metaphor. Um, you know, she doesn't have teeth. In a sense, I don't know if you guys have ever heard, you know, um, I, don't, I don't know the exact phrase, but but essentially, you know, if, you, if you're toothless or if, if you don't have teeth, you can't bite. So you, you're, you're not going to defend yourself or, mm. or you're, you're weak, essentially. And I think she was trying to maybe put that out there. Oh, That's like interesting. That. Yeah. Yeah. I'll stand by that as fact. <laughs> <laughs> Some fun Mason quotes. I am the hat. You are the shoe. Be a shoe. I don't know why, but that part of the movie, I just always find to be chilling and just like fascinatingly entertaining. Mm-hmm. As much as I laughed at like a lot of her lines, that one always like like you said, it kind of I don't know if I would use the word chilling myself, but I, I it made me feel uneasy. It made me feel kind of kind of sick to my stomach. Yeah. Like, know your it's, place, stay in your place. Like that's Yeah, cool. it's kind of the tipping point where Bong Joon-ho slaps you and says, hey, this movie's about classism. As if you didn't know already. <laughs> yeah, as if you didn't know already. But it's that's where it, it Titanic gets... on rails. <laughs> yeah, that's where it gets extremely unsubtle, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, like, <clears throat> okay, you guys know that, like, I, 
read my Bible from time to time. But what kind of creeped me out is like, I almost thought that that was supposed to be a reference to a verse that says like, would the eye say to the hand, like, I don't need you? No, like, basically, like, there's this verse that explains like, everyone has a different function. Um, And it's Mm -hmm. in a different context. But it's kind of like everything works better together when everyone does their, their unique role. And I thought that that was almost like, a creepy part of this where like it was a very similar quote like the gist of it was pretty similar but the context in the movie was like classism and so I was like "Ooh, that is kind of sinister like if that is the reference they were trying to go after then that creeped me out yeah and that's very similar to some of the themes that Wilford talks about at the end of the movie everything having its place everything being quantifiable and measurable and working together He's an engineer (laughs) in two ways. Yeah, no kidding. So the scene with the cart, with all the the SWAT guys, the guys in the, uh, you know, the SWAT gear and the night vision goggles, it starts off with them killing a fish and putting their axes in the blood of the fish. What did you guys think of that scene? That part of the scene? I'd like to comment. I, in my head, called this the BDSM train car. Oh, nice. (laughs) Um, I... Mostly because I needed to laugh. Like uh, <laughs> yeah. it was, it was very jarring. But like that, did, that it grossed me out. Like obviously they're using it so if they injure someone that gets infected, you know, and they get sick, and it's just to to more, pardon my French, crap on these, you know, these these people that are already being crapped on. Yeah, I would say that my take on that scene was pretty similar to yours. Was a, like, at first, I was so confused. Like, why are they using a fish? Also, the fish, like, didn't look terrible. Like, it looked kind of, like, fresh. And so I was a little bit confused. Like, why would, what's the point of that? Like, is this symbolism? And I am not catching it. But then I later had to text my friend and be like, have you watched this movie? Do you know the scene? Can you help me understand what you thought of it? And then they mentioned, like, oh, it would, like, taking the blood from that fish would probably end up getting people infected if they got cut and I was like oh okay that makes way more sense but at first I was just lost (laughs) it's interesting that you both came away with like infections as if it was supposed to be more effective in combat um you're definitely not wrong the opinion I came away with it was it was kind of a signifier of of something being executed against its will while it's in captivity they kill this fish they bloody their axes and it's symbolism of the fight that's about to happen well, now I feel dumb. No, no, I'm not, I'm not telling you that I'm right. I'm just sharing my experience. That's what we're doing here. No, but I, I know, but that makes a lot of sense is what I mean. That, that Looking at it from that perspective, you know, it makes a lot of sense. Maybe they were just getting ready for sushi. I mean. Yeah. Right. Maybe they were just needed the fish killed. Right. And something else that I learned about that scene when I, I researched it online is that the producer, everybody's favorite executive producer, Harvey Weinstein, he wanted that scene removed. And he wanted to, he actually wanted a lot of this movie cut back. Like it's a two hour movie and he wanted it cut back to an hour and a half. Anyway, he wanted that scene removed and Bong Joon-ho told him that his dad was that Bong Joon-ho's dad was a fisherman and, and the scene had a lot of symbolism and meaning to him. So he'd really like to keep it in. And he was lying. His dad was not a fisherman. He was just <laughs> lying to Harvey Weinstein to keep the scene in. That's great. That's incredible. Yeah, right? I love yeah, that. Yeah. And, and so... When Bong Joon-ho refused to cut out 
a significant portion of the movie to, to cut it down by a half an hour. That's actually why this movie didn't get a wide release. If, if you guys are like me, you probably never saw this movie in theaters or, or advertised on television at all. Mm-mm. Yeah, it got brushed under the rug because Harvey Weinstein wanted it to be shorter. So by wow. watching this movie and enjoying it, you're actively saying, Harvey Weinstein, you're an idiot. <laughs> oh my God, you can shove it. Incredible. Yeah, don't you feel better about liking this movie now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it's even funny. It's like we could always tie that, tie that back into the theme of the entire movie, which is like, the 99% against the top 1%. Like, let's stick it to mm-hmm. the man and watch this movie again. Yeah. yeah. Play it while I sleep. Just kidding. <laughs> exactly. That'd probably be a bad idea. You'd have weird dreams, I'd imagine. I mean, I already have weird dreams, but yeah. <laughs> okay. So I've gushed pretty nonstop about this movie um, since we started recording. I do have some things that I'd like to bring up to complain about. It's not a perfect movie. It's very close. Mm. And the two things that always pull me out of this movie every time I see it, the first main one is the translator scene where they get the the Korean engineer and Yona out from their crates. And the Korean engineer, he puts a translator to his throat and it translates Korean into English. The white guys grab one, it translates English into Korean. But then after they do that once or twice, it just stops with the back and forth and they just start talking in different languages and yeah. there's there's subtitles that appear and i'm like wait why did you introduce them to work like this if you're gonna just like change the way you show it a minute later right no i caught i caught that too and i was like um so do they suddenly understand another language like and i even tried to give a little bit of benefit of the doubt like okay living in america we are not bilingual most of the time but people from other countries usually are and so maybe the other character can understand English and just has to respond in his like home language. I don't know. Like whatever. I tried to give benefit of the doubt. And then at the end of it, I was like, this still doesn't make sense because it popped back. Like, I think they used a translator one more time or something in a random part of the movie, like before they blew a gate open or something. But then, yeah, you're right. Most of it, they didn't. And so I was very confused about that as well. It's odd. It's odd, messy storytelling for a movie that's otherwise I'm pretty invested in. Like I'm in it moment to moment. I'm having fun. I'm I'm feeling the characters and I'm in the movie. I'm not like wondering where my if my laundry's done or if I need to do dishes like I'm in the movie. But but that scene's the only one that really takes me out. Yeah, I definitely I definitely feel like this uh, overall was a very tightly written movie. and, And that was one weak point. Um, I'll let you continue, but but um, that definitely pulled me out too. Well, one of the things about this being a nice and tightly written movie, which you're fully correct on, is that this movie is based on a graphic novel. So it's based on a, a piece of entertainment that's pretty short and concise. And, and also with it being limited in terms of like areas, you know, it's all in the same train. Uh, it was probably a pretty easy story to adapt from the graphic novel. But on to my other complaint. I think they skimped on some CGI in this movie. Specifically, there's a few scenes where they're showing people in a train and then the the train car behind them is swiveling left and right because the the track is obviously curved here. But that CGI'd car that's behind them, it never looks real. It doesn't even come close to like 
looking like something that's actually there. It looks like a flat screen with another train car projected onto it. Did, did you guys catch that at all? Or is that just me being yes. bitchy? No. Yeah, I think you're right. You're right about that. I definitely caught it too. I was like, wow, that's not fake at all. Like, yeah. Yeah. There were a few scenes that, that I was, I was a bit bothered by the, the quality of the CGI, especially considering the movie was made in 2013. Um, I feel like it, some of the CGI could have been better. There weren't very many of those, but yeah, but the train definitely was one of those. And in defense of the movie, this was a pretty low budget movie and yeah, and it didn't take me out of the movie as much as the translator scene. It was just something that caught my eye and I was like, oh, yeah, I think you're right about that. And I also think, too, like now knowing that it was a low budget movie, I think that kind of explains everything or a a little more um, about my complaint, which was. There's supposed to be, I think, like a thousand um, carts. What would, how would you call, what would you call sections of a train? Cars. Cars. Okay, so there's supposed to be a thousand cars or something on this train. And it seems as though the people who were supposed to be in the very back of this train, like Chris Evans gets to the very front of the train, but it kind of seems like they got there pretty fast. And, like, obviously it's a movie, and so you can't show every single cart that you go through. But I also was confused about, like, I feel like I've seen very minimal amounts of people or, like, actual living quarters where people would, like, sleep or, like, do other activities or, like, shower or something. And we've, like, somehow made it from, like, some car cars up to the next few, I guess. But then there's another fight scene, like did they just go through all of them seamlessly until the fight scenes? Like I kind of felt like there was a little bit of a hole there. Do you know how many train cars we actually see? Like did anybody count? No, I definitely didn't count. I didn't count either, but I feel like it couldn't have been more than 20 tops. Yeah. And something to add on to this conversation, Suzanne is when near the end of the movie, when the train has an explosion and it starts falling off the tracks, there are so many more cars yes. falling. <laughs> yeah. I noticed that too. I was like, wait, they didn't go through that one. Did they? Or when they do that, like shooting scene where they're trying to shoot each other from across like that curve mm-hmm. in the tracks. And then you see like, Oh my gosh, there's a ton of cars, mm-hmm. but where are they? Like we right. never saw most of them. And by the way, world's most accurate machine pistol. <laughs> I know. I was like, <laughs> first of all, how does Chris Evans have any type of aim like that? Like, there's no way he's had a gun or practiced shooting in his life, at least not before the train, which would have been 17 or 18 years before that. And then also, these pistols don't do that. Like, <laughs> yeah. they just don't. You've got to calculate the wind. They don't even go that far. Like... I'm like, oh, okay. well, we'll we'll just have to let this one go. Right. Yeah, I'm not even sure the bullets could go that far logistically, let alone accurately. Right. Well, especially if like it's going to go through the glass like it did that glass. If it was that powerful to make that that far across, I would I would imagine. I mean, I'm not not super knowledgeable on firearms, but I would imagine that the glass would probably shatter just a little bit more. Yeah, or like if you have created glass for a train that's going to run for years and years and years and it's been like impenetrable so far through like this crazy weather that they've had on earth then how is a gun really gonna do that like from far away 
Yeah, that part's just a little silly. And we haven't even talked about the fact that, like, is this really a valuable use of your 12 bullets? Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Like, you might as well just shoot them straight into the ceiling. Okay, but then this all reminds me of, like, was anyone else mind blown when we had all come to the conclusion that bullets were extinct at this point? And then they like start whipping out guns from underneath, like this cart that's just casually passing through like the school scene or whatever. And the teacher like whips out that massive gun and starts shooting at everyone. Like I legitimately was convinced that bullets were extinct. And then everyone just starts getting like shot up and I was shocked. Can I comment on that? The the usage of the word extinct for things was really interesting to me. I, I wondered at first if maybe that was a translation thing because you know, I don't know if it was written originally in Korean, mm. but um, it was a cool it was a cool usage of the word extinct. Like maybe thinking about how language could have evolved over time, and you know you're just in a car for 17 years, you don't have any any education outside what's in the front of the car or front of the train. So you're going to have to like use words that you know that maybe you don't know the meaning of, but you, you adapt them to your own language. I thought that was pretty interesting. That is interesting. Yeah, definitely. Um, and yeah, I, the first time I watched it, Suze, I thought that bullets were definitely extinct. And this is just another great example of of planting and payoff and subverting expectations and just mm-hmm. just setting these these things that pay off in surprising ways later in the movie. Um. And the guy with the eggs that hides the guns, he's so friendly up until the po- up until the point where he's murdering innocent people. He's just so charming. Like he holds out the egg in a very kind of a dainty way, mm-hmm. like a would you like an egg gesture? And then when he gets to the sushi chef, he bounces an egg off of his bicep in a fun, like playful way. And I just loved everything about this guy. And then, yeah, like you said, the guns come out and it's like, oh, oh, that's what we're doing. Right. And he was totally aware that like there were guns planted in his bucket of eggs. Like the whole thing was just wild. And I think that that added for sure to like just the the twisted, like sinister aspect of like this whole movie. It's like the you think that bullets for sure were used up years ago because the police in the back of the train, like trying to police the like I guess the poorest people, impoverished people, like they literally didn't have bullets in their guns. Like Chris Evans taunted them and then made them try to pull the trigger and he proved they didn't have bullets. And so by the time that you get up to the elementary school scene, it's like, okay, this is a very kid friendly area. There's no way that anyone's going to cause that serious of violence here. But then little cute Eggman with his dainty gestures comes in and is carrying a cart of guns. And I was like, I think that that just added so much more to just how twisted this society was on the train. Yeah. Then like half a minute later, the pregnant school teacher that's murdered Andy's dad, she gets a knife thrown into her neck and she gets wrecked, murdered. Yes. It's like, okay, this movie's really like getting real. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, then that's like the same scene right after that when the TV flicks on and then they show Gilliam getting assassinated. And that was rough. Oh, yeah, definitely. That was the start of Chris Evans' little mental breakdown. Mm hmm. There, uh, honestly, there the the kind of journey from the back of the train to the front of the train 
reminded me a little bit in the sense uh, of like the 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 stuff the bad stuff that happened as they further went along. It reminded me a lot of Dante's Inferno, the Nine Circles of Hell, and I, that's why I tr- that's why I asked about counting the trains because if there were nine trains, that might have been on purpose, mm. or you know, nine cars that you actually see internally. But I don't I don't know if that's an accurate number. I never played that video game, Sterling. Shut up. <laughs> it was a game for the record. I know, and I did play it, and it was awful. <laughs> that's not surprising. Oh, that's funny. So the protein bars, this is a huge segue, but the protein bars in the show, in the movie, um, they're made from bugs and lots of gross ingredients, of course. In real life, they were apparently made from seaweed, tangle, sugar, and gelatin. Ew. And Tilda Swinton actually liked them. I think it sounds delicious, frankly, but <laughs> I mean, I like seaweed. Like, don't get me wrong. I'll eat the like seaweed, like crisp things where it's just kind of like dried out seaweed with salt on them. But gelatin form, I think that's where I draw the line. Well, that's fair. But I think they would taste good is what I'm trying to say. Like they might be texturally gross, but but they taste fine. Ugh, if you can get past <laughs> the texture. <laughs> See, I think we should commit that once all this COVID mess is done and you know, we can see people again. We should have a watch party and make some of these blocks and eat them <laughs> while watching Snowpiercer. And maybe we can like put some vodka in them and, and like every time they eat one on screen, we take a bite. I don't know. <laughs> okay, so I will definitely volunteer to make like black looking jello shots. Um, but if you want to actually put seaweed in your protein bars, that you do you. I'll be here to provide the vodka ones. You can make them from seaweed or cockroaches. Those are your two options, okay? We need Uh, them to be authentic. Protein. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Also, you know what character, I don't know why that just reminded me of it, but you know what character I also really liked? I really appreciated the one guy that draws pictures of everyone and everything. Yeah, he's he's very heartwarming. He says like five words in the movie. Like Mm -hmm. he doesn't talk a lot, but... He really gets into your heart somehow. He's precious. Yeah, it's like he knew that those parents, when their kids had just been taken away, like that they were heartbroken. And so he had drawn their kids for them and gave them those pictures to like keep and look at. And I was like, that is absolutely so precious. And then, you know what? This is why it reminded me of him. Because when they were in that chamber, when they figured out how the protein bars were made, and he looked over and Chris Evans was like gagging. And then Chris Evans looked at him and was like, don't draw this. <laughs> it was <Yeah>. disgusting. <laughs> it made me like, honestly, I, I feel like I related to, to that guy kind of, kind of a lot because um, I suffer from OCD and it almost seemed like it was a compulsion. His like, he, he couldn't help it unless someone like corrected him or, or, mm. or noted, like made him realize that he was doing it. Interesting. I got the impression that it was more, the drive to express one's artistic side while in a a state of stress. For example, somebody that I I know and am friends with, they, during the the black lives matter, black lives matter protests, um, they're a photographer and they just like, couldn't stay away from these protests. They just had to be out there, like taking these lovely pictures and and sharing them on social media and expressing themselves. And that's kind of how I felt about, I don't even know if that character had a name to be honest, but like the, the artist and another fun fact about him is that all of the images that he drew were actually drawn by the person that made the original graphic novel from what I understand. No kidding. Yeah. So like, seriously, 
I don't know if y'all are into comic books or graphic novels, but Snowpiercer, the graphic novel, uh, very good time, very, worth the money. That's so cool. Yeah. I'll check it out. Yep, I will. So I'm going to go out on a limb here and say this is this is one of my favorite movies. It's it's top five. I I watch it probably twice a year. I like to watch it once in the winter because it kind of feels like a winter movie with all the snow. Mm. And I like to watch it once in the summer because of the snow, because it makes me feel like it's not a thousand <laughs> degrees outside. Mm-hmm. That's, that's <laughs> fair. I honestly think like, oh, I will gladly suggest this movie in a group of friends where they're like, let's watch an action movie. Like this will be probably my top suggestion. Yeah. It's a very thoughtful movie. It's not like a a Michael Bay movie. That's just noise and and explosions. And you know, there's, there's no plot. Like this movie has great moments in it. Yes. It honestly, if anything gives you more credibility for your movie suggestions. Oh, that's good. (laughs) Just don't ask me for a comedy suggestion. Right. Sterling. (laughs) <laughs> honestly i don't i don't know that i've ever asked you for a comedy suggestion myself oh wait i know exactly what you're talking about that's fantastic i mean i may have been a little bit drunk but that uh oh what's it called fdr american badass yes yes um hilarious uh not intelligent humor in the slightest, but hilarious, especially if you've had a few. Yeah, I have I have weird tastes in comedies, so if I'm recommending a movie, Suze, make sure it's it's like a suspense thriller or action movie. Okay, definitely noted. <laughs> it felt that that movie, not to, to, to stick too long on that movie, it felt like a movie that riffed on itself the entire time. Like... Uh, Mystery Science Theater 3000, how they riff on movies. Like, it made fun of itself. Yeah, it definitely made fun of itself and didn't take itself seriously. Uh, it's a favorite of mine. And going back to Snowpiercer, this movie, which is one of my favorites, it reminds me of a movie, a stretch of movies that is one of my least favorite movies. So a little backstory. I am not a fan of the Daniel Craig James Bond movies in, in any sense. They just don't tickle my fancy at all. But a lot of their best scenes in, in the Craig era of Bond have been on trains. And it got me thinking, I would love to see a James Bond movie with Daniel Craig that took place almost exclusively on a train and make it kind of like a murder mystery. Think murder on the Orient Express, but with, with James Bond at the helm. And I think that would be just a totally bitchin' movie. And I wanted to hear what you guys thought about that. I love that idea. Yeah, why not? I'd be down. If it turns out as good as this movie, then count me in. I just hope he doesn't bring his Kentucky accent to it like in Knives Out. (laughs) Yeah, that'd be a little interesting in this kind of movie. That's another movie I need to do a podcast about at some point. (sighs) Yes, you do. I loved that movie. It's polarizing, but I, I also enjoyed it quite a bit. And it's it's one of the interesting movies that it's it's in a weird place in my head, along with The Greatest Showman, of movies that I did not like the first time I saw them. I I, I did not enjoy Knives Out the first time I saw it. Hmm. Same. And the second time I saw both of those movies, I was like, I am a prude. I'm a terrible human being. Why didn't I like this? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, didn't Sterling and I go with you to see it? The second time, yeah. Oh, the yeah. That was my time. second time. Okay. That I, maybe it's because you were enjoying it the second time that I enjoyed it even more. But but I thought it was lovely and fun and smart. It made me think, you know, it, it reminded me of like a game of Clue, but 
mm. less childish. Yes. Oh yeah. But still, like there were times of like really good witty humor. Mm-hmm. But also, you're right about like it was just so well done. Like the the things that you think you just assume like oh this movie's gonna go one way so and so did it here's probably how they did it you just turned out to be wrong and I was like I love this like I love when it's unpredictable and when I think that I've outsmarted the movie and I haven't it was like the guy that did the last Jedi did this <laughs> yeah that's and odd. to tie this all together another movie starring Chris Evans yes. yes. Look at that segue. Wow. (laughs) I mean, if we just want to talk about him all night, I'm here for it. That's a different podcast, Suze. Oh, okay. Well, tune back in to the next one (laughs) or whenever it is. I'll be here. (laughs) Sterling, would you show up for that episode? Sure. Why not? I like Chris Evans. He's a good actor. Love him is the question. (laughs) As an actor, probably. Yeah. Yeah. He's a great dude. Great actor. Great guy. Yeah. Definitely easy on the eyes, right, Sterling? I mean, yeah. I wouldn't kick him out of bed for eating crackers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was great. Well, do y'all have any more things to add to Snowpiercer? Favorite scene, least favorite scene, thing you loved, <laughs> thing you hated? I feel like the last scene where Chris Evans is like realizing the stuff about Gilliam, like... I feel like we should just kind of dissect that together because I want to hear your thoughts. Like, so how do we feel about Gilliam being planted in the very last cart with the poor people? So I think I got really confused. Like, was he planted there on like, did he willingly do that in agreement with um, what's what's the divine guy's name? Wilford or something? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So did they plan that together and did he go along with it willingly or did they originally plan that and something went wrong and then he got stuck down there? Because I got really confused as to why Gilliam would ever be a person to cut off his arm to like save starving people if he was just there as like just a part of a greater plan for the top 1% people, you know, like, did that confuse you guys? I definitely thought about it in the sense that I was like, all right, so is Wilford lying because he can see everything that's going on? Cause obviously he has cameras everywhere or right. did he really talk to Gilliam? You know, and I feel like maybe they left that open ended on purpose and to kind of open to interpretation. You know, I, I felt one way when I watched it the first time and then I felt another way when I watched it the second time. So, you know, I might feel a different way even if I watch it a third time, but mm. but definitely definitely had that same question and kind of kind of hit me different ways, different viewings. Yeah, I definitely went into that scene with the same question, and I thought I had I thought I had caught the definitive answer because at one point Wilf- Wilford says to Chris Evans' character Curtis, "You're the first person to walk the length of the train." Something like that. Mhm. But out of context, I'm not sure if he meant back to front instead of front to back because Gilliam might have walked it front to back to plant himself. So I'm not sure if that provides us with an answer, but it's definitely something to think about. Hmm. Um, I think I'd like I'd like to see it in my head, in my head canon that Gilliam was a true part of the last car and maybe he was just kind of a an old wise man that. I don't know how he would have gotten in touch with Wilford, but I do think they had phone calls. Right. I think that that's what 
was hard for me to let go of is like I for sure was attached to Gilliam being a true part of that last cart. And so I had trouble thinking like that this was all just an inside scheme and he willingly like played that role in it. Part of me was like, I kind of don't doubt that there were phone calls um, because clearly this man is like the old wise man of the cart, like the leader in a sense before Curtis showed up and became stronger as a person. So maybe Wilford wanted to talk with him about who knows what, but I think it was hard for me to like justify that like Gilliam would have been 100% an inside man just planted into there, that situation. Yeah, that's hard to accept. Especially knowing he cut off his arm because like people were hungry and needed something to eat. I'm like, no one would just willingly do that for the sake of keeping their position hidden. People don't do that. But if somebody was willing to volunteer to give up a, a cushy lifestyle to live in the back of the train, maybe that's the same person that would be willing to, you know, volunteer up their arm in defense of a baby. Maybe. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I don't know, but it's like, Chris Evans couldn't cut off his own arm. Like, why would Gilliam do it? Especially, like, what is, I guess, what I'm missing is the incentive as to why Gilliam would do that. Like, why would he willingly do that, knowing that he would never get out and he'd end up an old man there? Have you seen Chris Evans' biceps? I don't think a chainsaw could cut through those things. Mm -mm -mm. I mean, he did try (laughs) to cut off his arm at one point and it failed. Do you remember that scar on his arm? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's... He's got great muscles, you know? <laughs> We're going to get off track here, Suze. <laughs> um, I can, like, see the drool coming out onto your microphone. Chris Evans, if you hear this, I appreciate your biceps in all of he, your movies. He might be one of my seven audience members. <laughs> mm. <laughs> um, There's six others than me. <laughs> Well, they're all fake Gmail accounts that I've created to make it look like I have an audience. No, I'm just kidding. Who hasn't done that? <laughs> I mean, for coupons and stuff, but you know. <laughs> you're such a nerd. <laughs> but yeah, a really good point about Gilliam being in the back. Um, he might have volunteered for it if he if he bought into the ethos that Wilford did of of everything having its place and and needing to be quantified in closed ecosystems. Which, by the way, going through the aquarium and the sushi scene where they talk about how the fish can only be eaten twice a year because it's a closed ecosystem and and that's how it works. What great foreshadowing for the ending scene where they, they realize they have to eradicate so many of the last car, which even tied back into the scene with all the SWAT guys where Tilda Swinton's Mason said approximately 74% of you will die. That's clear evidence that they were planning this from the start as a way to get rid of all the people in the back of the train that could no longer be fed in their closed ecosystem. Like the whole movie just ties together so brilliantly. I know. And it, it honestly like gave me the creeps for just like our world, like population control and stuff like that. Like how could it not creep you out and make you start thinking about, Oh God, like what are, what weird systemic things are in place right now that like kind of do the same thing in the real world. Yeah. This movie touched base on global warming. There is a lot in this movie yeah Uh and one of the things that i thought was an interesting parallel to the immediate right now times is that whatever the gas released into the oxygen was it was called like cx7 or 37 it it had like one of those names um it was released without being thoroughly tested clearly because it killed the planet but this ties into our modern times because so many people 
are clamoring for a COVID vaccine to be released, released as quickly as possible. But the trouble with that is without thorough testing, like everybody that gets the vaccination 10 years from now, their kidneys might explode like a grenade and kill them like immediately and wipe out the whole population on earth that had the vaccine. Yes. So it's just an interesting parallel that like, I know it sucks. The times we are in are dangerous and they suck, but we need to take our time in developing the solution. Right there with you. Couldn't have said That's it better image. myself. Kidney grenades. Kidney grenades. <laughs> hmm. Can you buy those at the store in the in the canned food aisle? You can, but I mean, you can only put one in at a time. <laughs> They're next to the kidney beans. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> Sterling, any parting thoughts on Snowpiercer? I have to say I really appreciated, um, and and Dave will know this because one of my favorite movies of the last several years, he hated, but I loved it purely. I mean, I, honestly, I thought the story wasn't terrible, but the, the cinematography is really what did it for me. Um, and this movie, this movie really has some great cinematography in the sense that a good director or a good, a good, you know, director of photography can, can really make you feel a certain way. Um, and I definitely felt like I said earlier that like I was on a, a train that was going extremely fast over these rails that probably go all, all kinds of directions. Cause they were super high altitude at one point, they were in the mountains, another, they were at sea level a third. Cause you saw this ship that was tilted over on the ice. So I definitely got the feeling that I was on this, this super fast, crazy train. Yeah, definitely. What do they call it at one point? Like the rattling arc? Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. What, what a beautiful phrase for this mm-hmm. train that represents the last of humanity. Well, that's all I had for Snowpiercer. So thank you for coming out here, Suzanne and Sterling. Hey, thanks for having us. That was fun. Yeah. yeah. I totally appreciate being invited. It was, it was a blast. Well, I definitely hope to have you both on here again, if you're, if you're willing to. Yeah. Um, um, you know, Knives Out, Chris Evans, <laughs> along those lines. I'm Only gonna if you promise to really watch bad. 1917 again. Um, well, Suzanne, you're welcome to come back. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Bye, Sterling. It was nice knowing you. I'm definitely going to have to find a bad Chris Evans movie to, to watch with you, Suzanne, to see if I uh, to see if I can crack you on your addiction. I mean, be- yeah, do what you got to do, but we'll see. It might be difficult. Okay. And thanks to anybody that tuned in and, and listened to this podcast episode. I love all of our audience members and appreciate you tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode, please give it a share on social media or word of mouth or anything. We're always looking to grow the audience. And that's all we really have for you. So stay safe out there and have a good one.